The epistle for the 23rd Sunday after Pentecost is taken from St. Paul's epistle to the Philippians, the third chapter. Brethren, be followers of me and observe them who walk so as you have our model. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. But our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, who will reform the body of our lowness, made like the body of his glory according to the operation, whereby also he is able to subdue all things unto himself. Therefore, my dearly beloved and most desired, my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beg of Avodia and I beseech Syntyche to be of one mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, my sincere companion, Help those women who have labored with me in the gospel, with Clement and the rest of my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. And the Holy Gospel. is taken from the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 9. At that time, as Jesus was speaking to the multitudes, behold, a certain ruler came up to him and adored him, saying, Lord, my daughter is even now dead, but come, lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. And Jesus, rising up, followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who was troubled with an issue of blood twelve years came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, If I shall touch only his garment, I shall be healed. But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, Be of good heart, daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. And when Jesus was come into the house of the rulers and saw the minstrels and the multitude making a rout, He said, Give place, for the girl is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. And when the multitude was put forth, he went in and took her by the hand. And the maid arose, and the fame thereof went abroad into all that country. Thus far the words of today's Holy Gospel. They are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. These are words taken from the epistle of today's Mass in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. My dear friends, throughout the Old Testament, but especially in the book of Genesis, we read about two relatives that were highly blessed by God. These two men were the patriarch Abraham and his nephew Lot. Abraham and Lot were both herdsmen, and they both had great possessions. God showed a special solicitude for their family. It happened early in their lives that their hired helpers, Abraham's hired helpers on one side and Lot's on the other, began to quarrel. And so Abraham approached Lot. He took him up to a high hill overlooking the land. And he gave him his choice of where he would settle down with his flocks and his family and raise up a nation to himself. The book of Genesis says, Abram therefore said to Lot, Let there be no quarrel, I beseech thee, between me and thee, between my herdsmen and thy herdsmen, for we are brethren. Behold, the whole land is before thee. Depart from me, I pray thee. If thou go to the left hand, I will take the right. If thou choose the right, I will pass over to the left. The 
Bible continues by saying, And Lot, lifting up his eyes, saw a country about the Jordan that was watered throughout. And he chose for himself that country on the Jordan. And here, my friends, is where their paths in the service of God would begin to diverge. Lot chose the land along the Jordan, but more specifically, he chose the land closest to the city of Sodom. In fact, this is where he would make his home in this very city. And this city, at the time of his choosing, was known for its worldliness and for its despicable sins against holy purity, for which this city has given a name to those sins even to this day. But Abraham, he made his abode in a city called Salem, which later we would know as Jerusalem, the holy city of God's people. Now what's important for us to learn from this separation is that Lot not only chose this location, but he began to attach himself to the place and the people around him. Although his neighbors were steeped in sin, nevertheless he remained in the city with its doom forthcoming. After some years, God sent two angels to destroy that city for its sin and its iniquity. But Lot's reaction to this event is most amazing, especially when we realize that he started out as a very good person, blessed very highly by God. He was fully aware that the angels came not only to destroy the city, but that they were sent by God to save him and his family from this destruction. But from the moment that they arrived, Lot showed unmistakably that the men, the women, and the children of Sodom were corrupt beyond control, and yet he could not break himself away from their company. As God had told Abraham just a few days before, the city, the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is multiplied. Their sins indeed have become most grievous to me. But Lot was blinded by the evil of these cities. And the angels told him the night they arrived that he was to leave the city with anyone who still knew and served the one true God. That was with his sons, his daughters, his son-in-laws. No matter who he had in the city, they were supposed to leave before the destruction took place. But Lot could not flee from the city. He had too much of a worldly spirit about him. He had grown too attached to these people and to their ways. Even though he did not join in their grave sins, he still had a grave attachment to the city. He couldn't break himself away. It wasn't until finally the morning that the angels were going to destroy the city that they had to literally lead Lot, his wife, and his two daughters out of the city by hand. During that time, Lot decided he would follow the angels. He would save himself and his family by going out of the town. But the angels had told him and his family not to even look back at the destruction that would take place. But Lot's wife, poor woman that she was, she too was very attached to the city. She too wanted to know what was going to happen to her friends and her close allies there in the city. 
And she turned around, disobeying the angels, and she was turned into a statue of salt. Now she too was not an evil person, otherwise God would not have sent the angels to save her. But she was a worldly person, and so God set her as an example for all of us of how terrible the effects of worldliness and materialism can be in our lives. Lot then had to continue on the rest of his journey to safety with just his two daughters. But again, that worldly spirit that had crept into the family, that worldly spirit that did not look for the ways of God or God's assistance first, but looked to their own desires and their own plans, even against the will of God, led to greater destruction for the family. We know this because Lot's two grandsons became the two fathers, not of great tribes like Abraham's children did, but his two grandsons became the heads of the most pagan families in the whole history of the world. The one grandson, Moab, was the father of the pagan tribe that took that name, the Moabites. They grew so hateful to God, they fell into such terrible devil worship that by the year 582 B.C., their entire civilization was wiped out by the Babylonians. And his other grandson, Ammon, his descendants too were arguably the most satanic and pagan of all peoples ever. They were the ones that set up the worship of the devil under the title of the god Moloch. And so terrible was the worship of this devil so terrible were the rites that they instituted to show Moloch their veneration and adoration, that the land where they had set up the temple to him, which was known as Gehenna, was actually the term that our Lord himself used to signify hell. Thus Lot did not teach his daughters or his grandsons to trust in God, to follow the will of God as Abraham had so done with his family. And that terrible example of clinging to the world, of clinging to one's own ideas and one's own plans, led to the destruction of their entire race. Abraham, on the other hand, he was the one who first sought peace. He was the one who looked to do the will of God in all things. And amongst his descendants, we have our Lord, our Blessed Mother, and so many, many souls that served God well while here on earth, so many souls of saints who are now in heaven. And my dear friends, for us, it's good to stop and consider the life and the overall effect that Lot and Abraham had on their descendants. Lot was a good man. He was worthy of being saved by God but he showed that he was very weak when giving in to things of the world. And his example bore terrible fruit in his descendants. That's why we have to take the words of St. Paul to heart today when he says in the epistle to observe how we walk, to have our conversation in heaven. And he also says that for those who he knew to be good Catholics for a time, but who had fallen away due to worldliness. He said he knew of them and he had talked to the churches about them, 
But he said, now I speak to you weeping. Meaning it was a great burden to his soul. It was a great burden to his missionary spirit to see that even in the short time since the ascension of our Lord into heaven and his own conversion, souls had come to the knowledge of the one true God and how to practice the one true faith. Yet because of worldliness and a worldly spirit, they had fallen away. For us then, no matter what our duty is at hand, we have to make sure we are doing everything for the honor and glory of God. Its opposite would be to abandon the thought of God and seek only our happiness and our desires in this world. To live by the Spirit that says, whatever makes you happy is good for you. We cannot be content with whatever makes us happy. We have to strive always to do what makes God happy. St. Francis de Sales makes this the focus of his entire masterpiece, The Introduction to the Devout Life. In this work, very early on in the work, the great saint reminds his readers of the sobering thought. He said, God has not placed you in the world because he has need of you. No, God has created each and every one of us so that he could exercise his goodness by bestowing his grace and his glory upon us. And since we are created for this end alone, to be blessed by God, and to use these blessings for his honor and glory, then we must ever conduct ourselves in a fitting manner. St. Francis de Sales continues by saying, Having been created and placed in this world for this end, all action contrary must be rejected and shunned. God wants to bless us. He created us for this very purpose, to shower graces upon our souls here and forever hereafter in eternity. And for anyone who would then put something in the way of God, who would put any material, whether it be a person, a place, or thing, whether it be a desire for things like money or fame, fortune, anything like that, to put that between their soul and God sending that soul grace is the great travesty of mankind. To avoid the ways of the world then, let us say to ourselves, I was not created for the world itself, but I was created to adore and enjoy God forever. Not to strive for things that are passing, corruptible, and especially things that are sinful, but very very much more importantly, I was created for the things of heaven. In this life, then, my dear friends, we can have great happiness and joy. Some of the happiest and joy, most joy-filled persons to ever live were the saints. Some of the most richly rewarded men to ever live were the saints like St. Louis, the King of France, or St. Fernando of Spain. Amongst the joyful, you have saints like St. Philip Neri and St. John Bosco, who did so much to spread a joyful spirit amongst those who labored very much, especially for St. John Bosco amongst the children who were laboring in the factories at the time. Our life does not have to be one that is bereft of joy and happiness just because we are doing the will of God. But what we must do is make sure that in all we do, in all the happinesses we have, in all the crosses and trials that we bear, 
no matter what happens throughout the day, we resign ourselves to God and ask Him to continue to pour graces down upon us, like St. Francis de Sales said, that's the whole reason why we were created. In your daily rosary, then, as you persevere in praying it, we've come through the month of October, but I like to encourage you, as November starts, to continue your good resolutions you made of praying the rosary every day. Don't let your devotion to the rosary slack off just because it's no longer the month of October. And as you do so, look to Our Lady and Our Lord for the examples that they show us of keeping our mind on God's will. No matter what mystery we are praying, we can see Our Lady and Her Divine Son doing the will of God in everything that they do. Ask them then to help you to not be overcome by the worldly spirit which can grip us so easily and so quickly. To think first and foremost of the things of God and not of the things of this world. I can't impress it enough that Lot started out as a good man. He was like those Christians who St. Paul spoke of that knew the faith, they knew what it required to be good Catholics. Yet he spiraled out of control because he got attached to worldliness. And his worldliness led to the destruction of his wife, his daughters, and their descendants. Let us not be ensnared by the allurements of the world, but in our rosary, let us ask Our Lady for the grace to say with our hearts the words that St. Francis of Assisi once wrote, Let us despise the things of this world that we may not perish with it. May Almighty God bless you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.